Today's episode of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast is sponsored in part by the Bent Paddle Brewing Company. This Minnesota original is a 30-barrel production craft brewery and public taproom located in Duluth, just down the shore from the Boundary Waters. Hi, I'm Laura Mullen, a co-founder of Bent Paddle Brewing Company. Bent Paddle makes quality craft beer using Lake Superior water. Our mission is to brew craft beer with a concentration on sustainability for our business, employees, and the environment. On your way up to the BWCA, come experience Bent Paddle's new taproom in Duluth Emerging Lincoln Park Craft District, where you can grab a stainless steel growler of our award-winning beer to go for your camping trip. Or find Bent Paddle at over 2,000 local restaurants, bars, and liquor stores throughout Minnesota. Allow Bent Paddle to be the bridge that keeps good memories and conversation flowing when you're reflecting on that perfect campsite or the splendidness of the northern lights. For more information, visit bentpaddlebrewing.com or call 218-279-2722. Bent Paddle Brewing Company is proud to support the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 9 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Today we bring you the All Ontario episode. This is one that, Matthew, and I, we've been looking forward to for a long time. Tremendously. We've had it in the works for a while, pretty much since we started the podcast. We wanted to talk about uh, right across the border from the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, Quetico Provincial Park, a place that uh, many people even here up the Gunflint Trail, of course, from Ely, uh, they head to Quetico. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about that, really do an entire episode uh, dedicated to Quetico and the uh, Ontario paddling scene. So we did just that. Exciting to put this whole thing together. We are hearing uh, later in the show from a very special voice, Ian Tamblin, who you have heard at the beginning of every episode of this podcast. Including this one. You just heard him. Just heard him. (laughs) You hear him sing. You hear his beautifully written music. And today you're going to hear his spoken word, talking about his experience paddling, his relationship to the wilderness, and what inspires and influences his songwriting. We have an interview with Ian Tamblin today on the episode, and before we get to that, Matthew, let's talk about this story took us completely out of grammar, completely off 
the usual water that we're paddling in the boundary waters. We made the trek to visit the one and only Cache Bay Ranger. Her name is Janice Matichuk, and she spends every summer on the island in Cache Bay, just across the border from the United States in Quetico Provincial Park. She is the gatekeeper to that section of that area of Quetico. Matthew, this trip that we uh, are just getting back from, uh, Cache Bay and Quetico, was one that I just had on my calendar for months, was looking forward to making this journey, and we did it. Without further ado, I say we just kick it right over to the recording from the Cache Bay Ranger Station. View. And so, Janice, can you tell us, just for the listener that maybe doesn't know exactly where the Cash Bay Ranger Station is, just in reference to Quetico, and, and maybe starting with the end of the Gunflint Trail. A lot of our podcast listeners here know where the end of the Gunflint Trail is. If you could say where we're at in reference to that, and then with Quetico overall as well. Quetico Provincial Park is uh, on the north side in Canada, on the north side of Boundary Waters Canoe Area. It's 1 million acres approximately, which is about 80 miles wide by 50 miles deep approximately. So it borders Ontario, Minnesota. It's a square. Cache Bay Ranger Station is, is in the southeast corner of that square on Saginaw Lake, a very, very large lake. And uh, when I look to the south shore, that's Minnesota. So I'm looking at Minnesota about two miles away from me and people will come in and we have a little little bit of kibitzing going on uh where's the wall <laughs> so we just crank it up out of the lake you know <laughs> or in the winter we build one and then it melts in the spring <laughs> so it's at the end of the gunflint trail a very uh beautiful beautiful area and the gunflint trail is a high uh, highway 12 i guess coming up and it ends on the Minnesota side of Saginaw Lake. So it's interesting when I hear you folks talk, and you will often say the Canada side. And the odd time to me, it's like, it's it's not the Canada side. It's in Canada. We're a different country, a different park in the province of Ontario, in the country of Canada. And there is the longest unprotected border in the world between us, right? Mm. So we're in Ontario. You're in Minnesota. We're in Canada, you're in the United States. And two parks about the same size and area with different management uh, philosophies. Okay, and so we're having this conversation inside this ranger station here, which doubles as your home, and we're inside this beautiful cabin uh, with your artwork on the walls and very much uh, the feel of a cozy cabin on an island in the woods that we've been calling uh, Janice's Island. So, and I think that's appropriate, uh, and, and Matthew and I have been here for a little over 24 hours, or right around 24 hours now. How, what do you think, Matthew? How's it going out here? Well, I agree that it really has the feel of Janice's Island because Janice is here as the sole operator of all the functions that go on, and you have this beautiful cabin atop this island that in the front is sort of the station where everybody comes and checks in, but then the rest of this cabin is Janice's home, 
Well, but I do have to clarify, it's not totally me. I, I get uh, have different co-workers <clears throat> since 1998 when life changed up with marital issues and whatnot. Um, I raised my two children from birth here and they each did 16 seasons on the island. And then when our family <clears throat> situation changed, 1998 was the first year. Now we're not a married couple with kids living in the ranger station. So it's me and my two children, Ingela and Leif. And I've had over the last, I think it's 22 years, whatever the math is for that, um, about nine or 10 different co-workers. So they fly in on a gorgeous De Havilland beaver bush plane mm -hmm. to get here and <clears throat> do a day of maintenance. And then the four days in the office, I have to have days off, union rules. And so I now leave that my kids aren't here anymore. So I've had various co-workers over the years. Some last one season, that's it. Get me off that island. <laughs> but they fly in and out, whereas I stay here. And I've made it very personal, as you can see. It's a long commute from the bed to the desk. <laughs> Have <laughs> takes, you counted the steps? Takes all of about one and two and four seconds, four seconds <laughs> to get to the desk. So you live your job here, if you choose. And I, you just never shut down. You're on all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying attention to the lake to see what's going on with, you know, geez, I shouldn't be a canoe out there right now because I know my flow. And so then that makes you think. You look at the weather. Uh, are they late? Are they lost? Whatever. So that's the paying attention part. You start to, and rhythm's the best word I can use. So back to the cabin, it was built here in 1957. As you can see, it is gorgeous, like the workmanship. I was told Finlanders from Ontario built it. And the workmanship is gorgeous. I look after it better than I do my own home in Atacoke in Ontario. <laughs> um, I make my space very personal because I'm here so much. I like to be surrounded by rocks and fungus and beehives and art and driftwood. Lots of feathers. <clears throat> feathers. And you know what I do with my rocks? I'll just go, come on now. You've got way too many rocks in the cabin. So I take them and I put them outside. And then I'm fussing with them outside. Now these are too pretty. They're going back in the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> this is what my house is like in Atacokan too. It's full of rocks. And so Janice, as I said, we've been here for uh, the better part of a day, 24 hours now. And we've spoken with about a dozen canoeists who have come through during that time. And... In our observations, Matthew and I were discussing last night that a lot of people have basically wanted to pull into this ranger station to talk with you, knowing that you were here and uh, that you are a personality and an interesting uh, individual. And what has that uh, side of the job meant for you, the interaction with the canoeists, both as a professional, telling them very important information about their trip, but also just the conversations you've had? Okay, so, well, the professional side would be, I really want them to get it. I want them to just absorb the importance of how you treat the bush and you respect the bush and how you handle fish. Um, all the, all the you know, leave no trace camping, but it's not, it goes beyond that. It's just an appreciation and um, a respect and a love for the wilderness, I say bush. Um, so that's the professional side. Then how to 
uh, get to where they're going uh, as safely as possible. The falls chain, which is our my most popular entry point, six sets of waterfalls in four miles, just stellar beauty with waterfalls. Also the most dangerous have been many deaths there. And I think because of the map I made up and I go over everybody's map. When I'm in the office, everybody, I see their map. And often people will come in after 20 years and they pull out their map and there's my marks on it from mm. 20 years ago. So I do a really serious talk about the falls chain and I think it's worked because we had a number of deaths in the 70s and in 34 years I've had one death. So I think <clears throat> my effort to uh, make people pay attention there uh, is working. Then the other side of it, when you're out of the office and you start to get to know each other a little bit more because they've been coming for so many years, the number of kids I've seen when they've come in six to 10 to 12 years old, and now they're young people with mortgages and a car. And <laughs> oh my goodness, I knew you and you were a little wee snot gobbler on the other side of my desk. <laughs> we laugh about it. So that's fun for me to see them growing. I, and then I shake my head realizing how bloody old I am. <laughs> and others, they want to come and I, it's like I feel like I'm blowing my own horn here and I, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But they've often said, and the outfitters have even said, coming to the ranger station is part of their trip. It's not just to do the payment and get their permit, it's part of the trip. And I don't change much. I don't move a rock on my shelf. Like when I look out in the porch part when they come in and they'll see all sorts of different displays of things. Not one of those have changed in about 30 years. You think I should change it up so that they get something different to look at, but perhaps they don't remember. So some I've become really quite good friends with. So I've got my, what I call my American life and my Canadian life and um, yeah, I could probably travel to every state and have a place to stay. <laughs> mm -hmm. And why was that important for you, Janice? Is that also just to make the job <clears throat> less uh, repetitive for you to have more personal relationships and get to talk with people not on just the safety and etiquette uh, level, but also on a human level? Well, it's not something I purposely uh, sought out. It just happens. If you have good energy between each other and you get along, it just happens. And it's like magic. It, you know, it just uh, becomes, the ball gets rolling. And geez, I remember when you were pregnant with Leaf, and now he's 16 years old. And uh, well, Leaf, I, Leaf said once when he was four, well, 16, that's right, his last summer here and his sister was gone by then. I heard him through the office window. Campers were lined up and this fellow was talking to my son. And boy, I knew you and you were in your mom's tummy, you know, because I was left here eight months pregnant in 1988. What a beautiful place to grow up, son. And oh, look at all this. And Leaf just quietly sitting at the table. Yeah, you know how much it sucks to live on an island with your mom for four months? <laughs> and, but they love it. Both my kids are just, Cash Bay is like they've been indoctrinated with a really spiritual, special, special place, and they deeply love it here. So that's a really, a whole other part of this is not only were you getting to know other people's lives and families, they were getting to know yours because it's all one package for you here. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the, I think, the most fascinating 
element of your experience is that this is both you can hear the radio chatter in the background there just stand by I have to go so that was a real-time glimpse into the morning of the island radio check-in with park headquarters uh, that was Fort Francis fire which is about 120 air miles northwest of here so the different interior ranger stations we call in at 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. each day we have rain gauges with the amount of rain and they pump that into their algorithms and whatnot to uh, to keep track of fire danger so that's uh, it's a must do you call at 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. every day seven days a week for four months so that's another great example of the professional routine that you've developed. And you've also uh, developed a personal routine and a routine through raising your children. And uh, what has that part been like, the personal side of both raising a family and your personal adventures of exploring the park? Um, <clears throat> I guess... It's not, just let this finish. <laughs> so Prairie Portage talking right now is where Ely feeds into. So everybody checking in. Yeah, right now it's just Prairie Portage and me. So Gunflint Trail feeds into Cache Bay, Ely feeds into Prairie Portage. I think it's called Crane Lake, feeds into Lac LaCroix on the Minnesota side. So the personal aspect, when I landed here in 1985 with Ingela on my back at five months old in a backpack, I remember walking from the plane up to the cabin, having never been here in my life. I always knew about it. I wasn't excited. I wasn't smiling. I remember it so well because I just knew this is where I belong. I had such a settling in my bones. Yep. This is where I belong. I just knew it. And <clears throat> so raising the kids here isn't anything outside of my realm of what my life is like. And it, to me, it didn't seem vastly different than, because I've always lived sort of going the other direction that the sheep move. Mm -hmm. I'm going the other way. My whole life has been one of going the opposite direction to the flow of the traffic. And you just go with the flow and you adapt and you be super creative. You have to be really creative. So as the kids grew up, they learned how to walk and talk in this cabin. And where we lived in the winter was a thousand miles east in Eastern Ontario on a lake in the bush, half an hour north of town. So <clears throat> this was our lifestyle every 100% of the year. And I had to anticipate because we only got supplies. Um, the plane came in every week, but your personal supplies could only come in uh, twice a month. So I had to anticipate how much they'd grow when they were younger. Are they going to grow out of a shoe size? Are they going to grow out of clothes size from the time I pack in late April till when I get home in mid-September? Um, you've got to really anticipate and be organized and on the ball. So that's the part of just making sure you come with everything you need for four months. The growing up part with the kids was um, being able to be professional and on point in the office and then having the little 
rugrat kid run up to you and yank on your shirt. Mommy, I have to go potty. Because <laughs> there's no indoor bathroom here. And at the time, our outhouses were quite a ways from the cabin. And so the campers are, oh my, she has to go potty. <laughs> How is she going to deal with that? So I'd excuse myself and deal with the issue. And, um, and then just keep the kids occupied. No TV, no phone, no internet, no friends, no electricity. How do you keep the kids busy all day? When, and I was so busy in those days. That was our busiest year. Same with Boundary Waters. The late 80s to the early 2000s, I think, was the height of use for both our parks. And uh, then I involved the kids with the campers. I'd get, you know, if they had a child with them, I had a swing set outside. And I'd, uh, Ingle on Leaf, go take, you know, the little child here. Do you want to go out and play in the sandbox? or in the swing set, and then I'd be dealing with the campers in the office. Um, I used to play, try to do the, as they got older in public school, they'd, they'd miss two full months of school. Ontario goes for 10 months a year. So as they were up till about grade six, seven, I'd be doing basically math and English with them, that the teachers wanted them to just finish up the, for what they were missing. Well, they got bored with that pretty quick. And I had to be creative. Well, we did fishing license math. We did camping permit math. Um, Applied studies. And then there was one camper that he was a teacher. And he realized, you know, oh, the kids are here, nothing to do. He'd bring up um, fun workbooks, math books, fun workbooks to give to the kids. Well, I didn't find this out until just the last couple of years. Now my kids are soon 30 and 34. And they're talking we remember that guy that brought us those books it was like homework i hated that guy (laughs) and here he is thinking he's bringing them fun things to do and they're going this smiling way i hate you you." (laughs) so there's uh that element of raising a family and uh you've spoken a few times about some of your personal epics uh i can't remember what you call them janice's killer trips or something My one hurt me trip. Hurt me trip. (laughs) When I was younger, because I started on this island when I was 30, and I've had 34 birthdays since, so just do the math. Um, I would do one hurt me trip a summer, and I would do 50 miles solo in one night, two days. And so I would go as far as I could, which I choose 50 miles as my personal goal. And the main reason I did those on my days off was so I could see the typical loop routes out of Cache Bay so I could give better information about uh, portages to to campers. And then they'd, you know, I said, yes, I've done the man chain. Well, what about campsites? I don't know. I saw one. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to do the trip in five days. I did it in two. And then I had a friend come up from Eastern Ontario and I knew he would be willing to paddle 25 miles a day. And there were two 75 mile routes I wanted to see again so I could give good information to campers. That's not required with the job. It's just um, what you give extra if you have interest. And so the more I can give people from my desk, from personal experience, it just enhances their trip. And I think it makes it safer and it makes them everything it's just good for the whole uh, situation the more they know the more they can look for if i've there was a plant called a rare plant here called encrusted saxifrage 
which apparently the glaciers brought in on Emerald Lake. And our park biologist at the time, our naturalist, was really excited about it, told me about it. Took me quite a while to find it, but when I did, holy smokes, I remember sitting in my canoe and just feeling uh, blessed that I was able to find it and I'm finding this rare, rare, rare plant that shouldn't be here. I have to get the radio. Janice, you just had a radio call about somebody, it appears, has left some fishing rods uh, behind at the drop-off point and now they have to maybe turn back when they check in here? Or what's going to happen in, in, what are some possibilities here in this scenario? So the possibilities are, well, so that's my marine radio, which is not the provincial park government radio. And I've, I have connection to the outfitters and to all the homeowners on the Canadian side of Saginaw, which I'm very thankful for, for that radio. It's like a party line. Also, you hear everything from every cabin about all sorts of stuff. And sometimes you forget that it's very public. Anyway, the outfitter just <laughs> called me. Uh, his tow driver saw fishing rods. Well, she said poles. And like I said, this is Canada. You say rods um, at Hook Island. And Hook Island's the boundary, Quetico Park boundary, and no motorboats are allowed after that. So when these campers get here, and as I keep looking past your shoulder, Matthew, out onto the bay, I'm waiting for the canoes to come around the corner, and I'll find out. So the first group coming here, I'll say, you know, whoever you are, hey guys, you fishing? Yeah, we are. Do you have all your rods with you? Uh, yeah, I think they're in the canoe. You might want to go check. <laughs> so we'll find out if it's either folks that left today and the rods didn't get on the boat as they exited. The outfitters say coming off the water. And um, or if there are people entering. I had a guy once who, in the days when we had leeches and worms, left his leeches at the landing, not at Hook Island. He paid for a tow. I radioed to the outfitter. He paid for another towboat ride to get his leeches up here. Some and pricey he leeches. Pricey <laughs> leeches. $10 a leech. That's expensive fish per pound. And he and his wife had to paddle back to Hook Island. The next year they come in, she brings me some really decadent chocolate. Mm. And she said, if he could pay that much for leeches, boy, I'm bringing you chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> she was not happy. Mm -hmm. And so do you ever run into people as they pull up to <clears throat> check in here and, and uh, stop at the ranger station who maybe they're just, they've forgotten something, their canoe's not in good shape, or they're just not prepared for the trip in some way? Yeah, that's... When I was busier, again, um, because the paddling public is getting older and they're repetitive, probably 70% of my people are repeats. They've got it figured out pretty well. And others that go through outfitters where you're entirely outfitted, you know, that certainly works. Um, but yes, I wrote an, an article once that's been used twice and I titled it everything uh, what I've lent from the camping cupboard and for every letter of the alphabet A to Z except X and Z I used something else I came up with something for every letter hmm. that I have lent to campers and money's a big one and I've always been paid back they show up and don't have any way of payment 
K. I use kids. I've given my kids. Here, take them. Take them. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Go to another lake. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it was, that was pretty fun to do that. And for every letter. So yeah, I've lent and just plain given because some things you're not getting back. You don't want back. Um, toilet paper is a big one. Yeah, I want that back. <laughs> they forget. They forget. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting if I could find that article. And A, I had Axe, um, sleeping bags. I lent my $1,000 camera once. Wow. A couple, two gals came in. And this one woman was from Africa, and she was a nun in a, uh, what do you call those things? Um, where they go do mission work. Mm-hmm. So uh, the gal that was leading the trip said, here's my friend. She will, we forgot her camera. In those days, it was those disposable cameras. And uh, she, she'll never be back here again. It's unfortunate. We don't have a camera to memorialize this trip. And I'm on the other side of the desk listening to all this. And I'm going, oh, geez, that camera cost me $1,000. I didn't have to offer it. And I had slide film in it. So I gave them my Minolta camera. Off they go into Quetico. And when they came back, they obviously gave me my camera. And they took the film home and sent me back my slides and kept their portion of them. So that was a big lend. Mm-hmm. That was a big lend. Big risk. Mm-hmm. So... You know, you talk about that as a, you take a risk in lending something like your camera. And I imagine you've also taken some risks on a more serious note to uh, assist people that are in danger. Um, yeah, and I thought I'd remember all my rescues. I just don't. It's the campers who remind me of some of the rescues. The ones that were more critical, I certainly do. Um, I don't like to use the word saved, but I rescued five men and lost one he drowned he drowned before i got there just minutes before that was a a big uh event plus i had a cast on my lower legs i had broken bone in my foot so i was hobbling around and i put my cast in our the garbage bags i give you and duct taped it around my calf so it would be waterproofed while i went out in the boat because it was bad 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 weather raining like crazy oh there comes the canoes and other, I herniated myself once trying to get, and I didn't know that until just recently. I gave myself a small stomach hernia about 14 years ago, trying to get heavy packs in my boat and big men and whatnot. We're talking capsize, can you? Yeah. Situation. So we are either see it because, again, paying attention and you're going, what's that shape out there? It's been there for several minutes, get the binos out, and it's the hull of a canoe flipped over. So then, quick I have to radio Quetico Park that I'm going out in the lake for my own safety and it's never calm weather never they don't capsize in calm weather Mm -hmm. so I'm already compromised myself in the motorboat and you have to boat smart and it's all math which way do I point the bow make sure the water doesn't come in over the transom to sink me and then you're being everybody's being sloshed around out there and uh, you've got to use your head and it's lightning quick thinking. You've got to think fast. And I've noticed when I'm dealing with emergency situations, I just calm down. I'm methodical. I just boom, bitty, boom, bitty, boom. You do this, you do this, you do this. Can't do that in my personal life. <laughs> I'm really good in my work life with issues. And I've had severely hypothermic men in here. Um, 
people, one guy put an axe in his calf, another guy burnt his whole leg, not placing the fillets in the pan of hot oil. He dropped it in and the pan flipped and all the hot oil went down his leg. So oftentimes I'm not doing first aid on them. By the time they get to me, they're already bandaged up and you don't mess with that. The main thing is to calm them down. Um, one guy's broke his tibia. He was a doctor. His adult daughter was freaking out and just she was harder to deal with than the broken leg. And it's just calm them down. Like the fellows who lost their buddy. I had these five men in the office and it was dark, gray, cold night. I put on music, made tea, lots of sugar in it, wrapped them in blankets and blah, blah, blah. And then start asking them about their trip and they're just staring into space. Their, their friend just drowned. Mm. But you've got to just keep them present, keep them uh, cognizant of what's going on around them so something doesn't happen to them. They weren't critical enough where shock would set in from hypothermia, but it was pretty severe till mm -hmm. we got everything in place. Um, yeah, I'd have to start thinking about the different rescues. I haven't done a rescue in probably eight years where I've physically gone out because the clientele's getting older, so they're not taking risks like they used to. And so, Janice, just lastly, we got some canoes coming in, as you uh, said, and I'm just wondering about after 34 years on this beautiful island, Matthew and I have been walking around just in, in awe, and many of the canoes who've come in, just that glow in their eye, and this is such a beautiful place. Um, for you, every morning when you wake up, and it is work, you're doing a job here, but is it still an enchanting, beautiful place and a place that you want to be? Without hesitation, absolutely. This is there. I just marvel, and after all these years, it still blows me away that I can walk around here and still see something different. And I know this island intimately, and I, I know the trees that have fallen over, I know the trees that I hug, um, I know the trees that have grown. It's like your kids, you know, and they're branching out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just it's overwhelming with how gorgeous it is here, and I see sunrises and sunsets. Bet you not many places on the earth people are in that situation. So I am so fortunate. And dealing with the campers, when I have a good day in the office, I'm just pumped. I'm just energized because I know I got through to them. And that's one of the biggest paybacks for me is when I know they're leaving in um, a really good frame of mind. And the way they thank me or they'll make an effort they'll say thank you for spending the time that's often what they say some of them want to get going right now if they've been coming year after year after year I don't have to do my full orientation with them because they've heard it enough but I still go through all the high points and I'll say okay guys you've had all winter to study what have I said about where to clean the fish well I don't know you keep changing it no I don't now, what have I said about where to clean fish? And we have fun with it, you know, as opposed to being really authoritative. And um, I think that's how people remember better, is by attaching some humor to a lesson. And it just clicks in their brain. And they remember better. What did she say about that? Don't die, doofus. <laughs> <laughs> what size body bag are you? So you talk like that, and we have a ha-ha over it. And then they leave and they start to get a little somber. And if they're going up the falls chain, okay, this is what she was talking about. And and then I tell them, 
you know, these, the rules I've made for safe travel, it's not just the falls chain here. It's wherever you are, wherever you're recreating. So if they come to Quetico only once and never come back here, if they use outdoor areas in whatever state they live in or country, and they bring that appreciation to those outdoor places, then I've done my job because they have a new appreciation wherever they live. And hopefully they'll pass it on to somebody else. I just had a plane in the other day. If you drive to Atacokan and use an Ontario, an Atacokan outfitter, you're allowed to fly to my dock and then cross the park and exit on the north end. Well, there are two fellows from New Zealand, had never been in a canoe in their life, and they hooked up with a man from Massachusetts and a man from Alberta, Canada. And um, I'm talking with them, well, how on earth did you, you know, three countries in one canoe trip, how did this happen? Well, New Zealand met Massachusetts through work, and uh, they really uh, like fly fishing a lot, so I guess they travel <clears throat> to each other's country to fly fish. Massachusetts met Alberta in the park years ago. They keep in touch, so they all got together. Four guys, three different countries, landed at Cache Bay, and now they're paddling north to exit in about eight days. Well, it's uh, there's canoeists paddling up to the Cache Bay Ranger Station. It's uh, Janice, your last official day of work here for the 2018 season in Quetico Provincial Park. And Janice, thank you for letting us come to your island. Oh, well, thanks for thinking about doing this and how we got it put together and you cooking for me last night. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this place. I'm really proud of it. And as you can see on the inside of my personal part beyond the office doors, um, yeah, it is a cozy cabin, isn't it? It's a pleasant place to be. It embodies the essence of you and the island. It's hard to see where you and this island are even any different. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Just blend in with the rocks. <laughs> the deep green, the dark green, gray poles, the mishraths, dark lakes, the snow caps, gravel beds in the rivers, raised the mountains, bared in the scarred land, but the regrowth's coming back again, coming back again. Come back again, you better we'll be back again to the regrowth, back again to the Shrouds, back again to the dark lakes, come back again to the rivers race. Green on white over green on blue, green on black over green on gray, green on white over green on blue, darker gray over green on gray over green on green, over green on green, over green on green, over green on green, the deep green, the dark lakes when the giants found Well, Matthew, that was for me, just such a highlight, uh, you know, our trip into Winchell Lake that we recorded on the podcast and Duncan and some of our uh, re stories we've done out of, on the field in the Boundary Waters have been amazing. But that one to Cache Bay is one that I'll, a trip I'll never forget. Agreed. And the most unforgettable part of it is the Cache Bay Ranger herself. Uh, this interview that that we've just experienced just scratches the surface of this amazing woman. I'd say it's a great introduction. Uh, I would encourage anybody hearing this to make that trek themselves. Meet this woman, experience the Boundary Waters in Quetico, and experience her, experience the island. 
uh, it's a truly magical place. I have goosebumps just saying it right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And uh, the stories that Janice told us, you know, we had a, a steak dinner that we cooked up there at the ranger station. Janice invited us into her home as it's, of course, the ranger station, but also her place where she lives and raised a family and has, has so many memories and uh, experienced a life there uh, to be in there and sharing a meal and hearing her stories that never once got repetitive or old or uninteresting is she's just captivating from the second you walk in that door of the ranger station and, and was there actually on the dock when we pulled up i mean it's just the stories were great and as you said matthew it's only the beginning of of the many stories we heard in our short time there and, and uh just a huge thanks to quetico provincial park uh the superintendent of the park for helping us uh, get this set up and, and everybody at Quetico and, and uh, Deb and the crew up at Seagull Outfitters for uh, helping support the trip. And a lot of people really kind of had our back on this one, helping make it possible. So just thanks to everybody on that. Once again, we could not make this happen without the supportive community that we share these waters with. And that includes our listeners always. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to transition since this is the All Ontario episode. Matthew, we're going to keep it rolling. And this next interview, this uh, gentleman stopped by WTIP, and that also meant a great deal to me, uh, was Ian Tamplin, who agreed back in January of 2018 to give us his, his archives, his catalog of music of hundreds of songs to use on the podcast, and just said, it's yours, please. I'd be honored to have it on here. And so... Uh, episode nine here of the podcast any song that you've heard any guitar chord you've heard has all come from ian tamlin from the first episode to here on episode nine so it was a big deal that ian tamlin was coming down to meet us here at wtip well he actually was playing a festival that was fairly you know subjectively close to um the crossing uh the border and this entire trip he made just to connect face to face here with the station with joe and with the podcast and that that is a truly an honor yeah and that's uh let's hear what ian had to say when he stopped by and joining us now here at wtip right here in Grand Marais, Minnesota, is Ian Tamblin. Ian, what a pleasure to sit down and talk uh, canoeing with you here today. A pleasure to be here. I want to take uh, our listeners here back to the winter of 2018. Uh, it's January, getting into February 2018, and WTIP and myself and some other people are getting this podcast, this Boundary Waters podcast put together. The idea is there. What we were missing was the hook, the the music to introduce the podcast, kind of a theme song, if you will. And I'm I'm listening around some different tracks, and yeah, this could work, this could work. And I come across this song, Campfire Light, by Ian Tamblin, and just pretty much right away knew this is this is the one. I gotta I need to make contact with Ian. I need to find this uh, gentleman. I need to get permission to use this song if if he would let us. So I. I do. I contact uh, you through your, your website and uh, sent kind of filled out a general inquiry. Hello, I'm Joe from uh, Radio Station in Minnesota. I like this song. It's a podcast about the Boundary Waters and canoeing. And you called me up right here at the station, Ian, uh, that same morning. And you said, kind of before I could even finish explaining, you said, Joe, it's yours. Please use it. And I appreciated that, Ian. So uh, f- 
for the first time face-to-face, I'd like to just say thank you for letting us use Campfire Light and your music on this podcast. You're quite welcome. It was a, a bit of a no-brainer for me because um, I grew up just to the north of here in, at the time, Fort William, Ontario, now Thunder Bay. So it was just something that a neighbor would do. <laughs> well, yeah, again, I, I really appreciate it. And so, uh, as you say, you know, Fort William now, uh, Thunder Bay, as we refer to it uh, here in 2018. And um, did you know Graham Ray? I mean, have you been to the community here? And, and what was your reference for that? This is my first time in Grand Marais in 55 years. It's, uh, you're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> Changed <laughs> in, a lot. In comparison, yeah. <laughs> when I first came down here, there were more deer than human beings uh-huh. in this part of the road. But we used to come down occasionally to ski at Lutzen, and then we'd go, you know, down to uh, Duluth uh, to get Levi's. <laughs> because you couldn't buy Levi's or Lee's in Canada. And so then we'd put three or four pairs on and then go back across the border. Wow, and, and this is you and your family in, in Thunder Bay or some friends or something? Me and my friends and my sister who really weighed about 90 pounds, but by the time she, she went across the border, looked like she came in at around 200. Yeah, getting those jeans back yes, across. Yeah, several pairs of jeans. <laughs> so, Ian, um, you know, this is a, a podcast. It's all about uh, the Boundary Waters and, and you know, Quetico and, and the wilderness here on the Boundary Waters of Minnesota and Ontario. And I'd like to talk with you about uh, canoeing. I mean, uh, certainly, you know, I want to hear about your music and, and get into that. But I'd like to hear uh, your experience and, and what you think about canoeing. Uh, where, where do you go and, and do you do it often? Sure. Uh, I didn't canoe very much. I grew up on Lake Superior. We had a cottage on, on Lake Superior, a camp. And, uh, but at that time in the 50s, Lake Superior was seen, seen as a, kind of a terrifying place. I'm sure it's the same thing here. The, after the lamprey kind of took over the lake, people weren't going out fishing, and the lake sort of became a colder and, and darker place, you know. And so I didn't do any canoeing when I was growing up. You know, I did some sailing on Lake Superior. And to be honest with you, one year we had a situation in Thunder Bay where the ice froze right across to Isle Royal, and we took ice boats from Thunder Bay to Isle Royal. Wow. And that, that was 62, 63. And I remember, you know, going across the lake then and just, it was just, we were going, a, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour. It was, <laughs> it was quite something. Uh-huh. But after uh, I finished university, I had read a book by Wayland Drew called Wabino Feast and another one called Lake Superior, the Haunted Shore. So we started canoeing first on the Magnetowan River in, in uh, that runs into Georgian Bay, then a little bit on Georgian Bay, and then we just uh, leapt to Lake Superior and did a, one massive trip right off the top from Pakasaw down to Agua Bay, which took about 15 days. And that was a, quite a baptism. That was the beginning. And so every year after that, we did another part of the North Shore of Superior. Since that time, I've done other rivers you know, in parks, Algonquin Park, certainly, uh, Laverandre Park in Quebec, uh, places like that. What type of canoe are you paddling then on the on this big water, Lake Superior? I usually, uh, we had a, a fire steel canoe, first off, a, a Pasmaquoddy uh, sort of freighter, 19-foot freighter, but I'd, I couldn't load it down enough, you know, and it was always 
catching in the wind. So I went back to a 17-foot prospector, mm-hmm. uh, Peterborough prospector. Okay, and that's a what type of canoe? Is that like a aluminum? Well, the original or? design, I think, uh, was by the Chestnut Company. Uh, but, it, yeah, no, it's the Cedar Strip. Cedar Strip, yeah. Yeah. Bec- I, I went that way because um, you could always fix them. And there was one situation on Superior where uh, we had to fix it. Mm-hmm. The whole front end of the canoe was split open, and there wasn't enough duct tape. <laughs> we had to bang it together, and, and it worked. Yeah, wow, okay. And, and so what is it about uh, canoeing, like, of all the things that you could uh, be doing in, with your uh, free time, recreation, outdoors, and, and why uh, canoeing and, and why the water? What is it that draws you to that? I think it's I think it's the speed of travel is proportionate is 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 appropriate, you know especially on Superior, you can discover things you can go into little coves you can kind of get an appreciation for how it was, uh, for example, like there's a, the petroglyphs or pictographs rather, at Agua Bay I think they should only be seen from the water you got to earn it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for writing songs, you know, about Superior. Uh, part of the reason I'm up here is to renew my license. If I don't get on Lake Superior, as I don't think it's right for me to do those songs, you know. Re- I, renew the creative license. Yeah, I have to walk the walk, you know. Yeah, wow, cool. And, and so how does it uh, incorporate your, your travels, your, your passion for canoeing into some of the songs that, uh, that we've heard here on the podcast and, and maybe even Campfire Light? Uh, are those done while you're traveling or post-trip when you're back at the cabin, or, or where does that enter? Campfire Light uh, came right from the lake. And I, uh, it, you know, there's a part from this shoreline, not the Wisconsin part, not the Dairyland part, but the North Shore, mm-hmm. which is has this real spiritual quality about it, and it, uh, and it, particularly in that territory around Lake Superior Park, Pakasa, it really gets heightened there, and um, it's called the Haunted Shore for a reason, and it really does give off of quite a strong vibe and it's so the the songs are there already they're just waiting for you to intersect with them yeah you know if you're at antenna or up or whatever and um that's that's where they come from you know and even even now i'm sort of still inspired by the lake i mean i was sort of fascinated by the notion of north the idea of north and um you know i got that a little bit from Americans like uh, Aldo Leopold and uh, Sig Olson. Other writers, yes, yes, Sigurd Olson and um, other Canadian writers as well. And sort of that led me on. Yeah, wow, nice. And, and so when you were growing up in Thunder Bay, were you always interested in uh, a, a life and career and music and travel? Or, uh, when did that uh, manifest itself? I was a late, late bloomer or late discoverer of. of of that, I sort of um, pretty much ran out of everything else that I could do. Uh, realized I couldn't do it, uh, you know. Uh, so I became a musician, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> as many musicians do. Uh, it's just by default, you yeah. know. I'm pretty much useless at everything else. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so by becoming a musician, it led me back to some of those other things that I could do, but uh, 
I've been able to, to do them better through music, believe it or not. You know, I was never good at the sciences, but through just serendipity, I ended up being a, a artist in residence on seven scientific expeditions that went from the Arctic to Antarctic. And so even a dull turnip will, will learn something about sciences if you go on enough scientific expeditions. Yeah. And I did. Wow. Yeah. What a, and it's been, uh, you know, following some of your career and, and looking at your bio and stuff uh, prior to your visit today, your your life seems to be, uh, you know, it's been uh, accomplished and, and uh, well-lived and well-traveled, certainly. And now you're living in uh, near Ottawa, is that right? Yeah, just north of Ottawa, a small community. Well, maybe a little bit bigger than Grand Marais, but not much. It's called Chelsea, Quebec. Mm-hmm. And it's a... It's a it's a beautiful place in, in the Gatineau Hills, old hills. Yeah. And uh, is there opportunity to do much paddling there? Or, or Oh, you... yeah. Yeah, there sure is. The Mighty Gatineau. I'm on the Mighty Gatineau all the time. Do you ever do, uh, you know, camping and, and spin, you know, on these multi-day trips? You're, you're pitching a tent uh, as well, you're traveling along, or, or how do you travel? <laughs> we travel by tent until we're driven out of it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And this on this trip, uh, Amanda and I, a couple of times. One night, our, our everything was just swept away. We thought it was a really good campsite, and I'm sure people listening will appreciate this. You know, a good campsite in dry weather, when you're anticipating it to be dry all night, is different from a campsite in wet weather. And <laughs> we had a river flowing through our tent <laughs> one night, which drove, like, everything was soaked, just soaked. And so the next night, uh, when we went, we we prepared ourselves well. But you know, yeah, it's it, the only thing I will confess is that my thermorest is getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> I'm not I'm not good for the one inch thermorest anymore. Yeah, you're 70 years old. Yeah, right. You're in, and uh, we've been getting a lot of people sending us emails here at WTIP to my email address, and, and we have one specific to the podcast as well. And we get inquiries, people saying, what's this, what's this music we're, we're hearing? Uh, it's just beautiful music, either the theme song, Camp for Our Light, or, or just some other instrumentals that we put in. And um, it's just been fun to say, you know, Ian Tamplin, check him out here and, and so forth. And, and one song that we've gotten a few people were asking about is a song called uh, Becky's Canoe. And I'd like to uh, just play a, a little bit of that now. So that's a song, Becky's Canoe, uh, instrumental. And, and uh, Ian, what's the, who's Becky? What's the song? Uh? Becky Mason is a canoeist uh, uh, in Chelsea. She actually teaches solo canoe uh, on Meach Lake. And her father was Bill Mason. And Bill Mason was sort of the Renaissance man. He was a filmmaker and also an artist. But he is primarily known for bringing back the canoe into Canadian culture. It kind of disappeared, and he championed the canoe. He actually um, did a lot of canoeing in Quetico, and uh, I think he grew up in Winnipeg, but most of his canoeing in his early years was in Quetico, and he pioneered a number of things, and one of the things, he did a film 
called Paddle to the Sea, which was a little, uh, about a little canoe, uh, illustrated canoe that went through the Great Lakes and was kind of, was done by our National Film Board, became quite famous. And then another film of his, a uh, very spiritual film set on the North Shore was called Water Walker. So yeah, he's, and Becky is his daughter and she teaches uh, solo canoeing. So this was music for her video on advanced solo canoeing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's a beautiful song, definitely. And so uh, canoeing in Canada, uh, you know, we've done some stories about people who have left uh, at the end of the Gunflint Trail here, SAG Lake and, and Seagull in that area and, and gone all the way up to Hudson Bay. And I've met some uh, Canadian adventures as they've come from Montreal uh, west and, and they've headed, I believe they were headed up to Hudson Bay as well. And I met a gentleman from Atacokan who's traveled uh, east-west a couple of times with his dog Spitz, a, a very creative and uh, hilarious and wonderful man. And uh, it does seem to be that uh, canoeing has returned uh, with, with a force and a passion in, in Canada. Are you finding that? Definitely. When I first started canoeing on Lake Superior, we put in at the Mishpacontin River, right near Wawa, and we came down the river and sort of were rushed out into the lake and went down and, and pulled up on the beach. The two people on the lake that we saw during the entire trip were that, was at that point Bill Mason and Waylon Drew, the two people. <laughs> For the next 15 days, we did not see anybody, not a soul. There were no canoes on Lake Superior, none. And since that time, as you know now, people are, the other night, we were, you know, sort of remembering those days when we looked down and there were two people, uh, one of them in a bikini on a paddleboard, that were, and another guy on the paddleboard with a backpack, and they were coming down, you know, Bill Mason would have just rolled over in his grave if he had seen that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, what do you think that that's um, a healthy sign of the times that people are, are enjoying the lake and and uh, just getting outdoors and enjoying you know outdoor recreation? That's, oh, that's certainly. I don't think it's a necessarily healthy sign to see them on a paddleboard, but anyway, on Lake Superior, especially with an offshore breeze, it's a long way to Wisconsin or Michigan <laughs> on a paddleboard. Yeah. but uh, it's great. It's, I think it's really good, and I think it's it's very in, indicative of, of uh, among some people, cert, a certain attitude and respect for the lake. You know, it's it's interesting when you spend time on the lake, time does slow down in a way. And I remember when we finished that first trip, getting hitchhiking back to to get our cars. And in many ways, the trip was erased by the speed that we're going in the car. You know, we would go up a river of a day, you know, the Baldhead River or something to, to play in the marble, marble falls and pools there. And it was bang, bang, you know, in a car, it was gone. So the time was different. And I think, you know, in, the, in this time, these times, particularly when people are suffering from TAD, I think that's... Trump anxiety disorder. It's good to get away, you know, from the news, from the tweets, you know, and change one tweet to a bird song. Yeah. It yeah. sounds much better. Yeah. So uh, just lastly then, Ian, you know, I, we have uh, 
talked about a number of people here on WTIP in the past few years, Dave and Amy Freeman, um, and of course, uh, people like Sig Olson, uh, people who really fought hard to uh, protect the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and continue to fight as Dave and Amy are to just raise awareness uh, for what this place is and what it means to them and, and other people to protect that for future generations. Do you ever, in a sense, think of your music as a sense of uh, advocating for wilderness without even directly doing so, either just what you know, sharing what you observe through song, or has that ever uh, entered your your mind when you're when you're playing? a song in front of an audience all the time yeah you know yeah of course um i've never thought that like a protest song or something even a protest song i don't know that it changes anything but it supports those who are seeking change and in the same sense if i'm in some sense advocating a way of looking at things uh that's definitely supporting that that conservation of of the lake or whatever and in some sense uh particularly i know less about this part of the world but uh on the canadian side all those towns in in north northwestern ontario they were one industry towns you know not uh, unlike some of you know the masabi range uh that was depleted here. Well, in some sense, what is left is the lake, which is really the biggest resource. You know, it's going to take a long time for the timber to come back in northwestern Ontario. The, the iron mines aren't coming back. Uh, so the remaining resource is the lake itself. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you. Uh for all the listeners of this podcast who've heard your music uh, every time they, they start an episode and end an episode, they hear Campfire Light and, and songs like Becky's Canoe and other uh, instrumentals throughout. And Ian, we, we really appreciate uh, your sound and, and your voice on, on the podcast, and, and we appreciate uh, sitting down and talking some canoeing with you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, my pleasure, and thank you. I, I came down here just to say thank you, and so thank you. Great to hear Ian Tamblin, paddler, rivers, small lakes, big lakes. And the reality is, Lake Superior is the largest boundary water lake uh, on the border. Uh, and that means that if you choose to paddle a canoe on the mother of all boundary water lakes, please use safety, caution, and have uh, adequate training to do so. Uh, as with any lake that you get out on. Yeah, Superior is just another uh, ball game altogether, even compared to a Sag and uh, you know Bass with some of these lakes that we've talked about here on the podcast previously, Matthew. Superior is a whole other element, and, and we're on the podcast, of course, largely focused on the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in Quetico Provincial Park, but... Uh, with Ian and his contribution to the podcast, it was just great to hear, you know, another another element of paddling here in this region and um, just a great conversation. I, I can't express to you how humble of a guy Ian was, Matthew, when he visited WTIP and, and uh, played some songs for us here in the studio. Uh, I mean, he played Campfire Light on your guitar. <laughs> he did. When he was here on, during his visit. I have to say, um, 
being a musician myself, obviously not uh, professionally, uh, I admire his music and I admire even more that he was willing to play my guitar. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear more words from Ian and more of his music from the studio here, you can find that on the WTIP webpage. Yep, absolutely. Just uh, even type in Ian Tamblin into the search bar of the WTIP page and uh, it'll come right up the videos of him playing here in studio. Uh, furthermore, if you are excited to learn more about Janice or see more of the scenery where the interview was held, there will be a photo and video eventually on the WTIP website uh, so that you can have a really full picture of what that experience is like. Absolutely. And another fantastic episode here. Matthew, this one was just a, a blast. Got us up into Canada. Had a, a lot of fun here on this episode. And the Ontario episode <laughs> is now complete. That's what it was. That's what it is. That's what it forever shall be, Matthew. Thanks, Bent Paddle. Thanks, everybody. Couldn't do it without you guys. Hope you're still loving it. Send us your feedback. Podcast at gmail.com. Until the next time, Matthew, I will see you in the Boundary Waters. <laughs> Had to sing when I paddled in Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Oh, me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me I like to sing, I love to dance, I play the fool if I got the chance, all around the campfire.